Let's now go to God's Word. This is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. We just heard God's word. Amen? Amen. It reminds me of the 2011 film, The Help. Uh, There's this one particular scene in the film, The Help, with uh, Abilene Clark. It's played by the great Viola Davis. She is the maid in a, a home, and this film is all about the maid's perspective. And Abilene is, is a maid in this particular home, and, and her boss is a woman who is really not a kind, uh, kind of woman. And uh, she's got this daughter, and her daughter is a little chunky, and mom is not treating her daughter well at all. In fact, it seems as if she doesn't love her daughter. She, it seems as if she's treating her uh, as she's an outcast and pushing her own daughter to the side. Well, Abeling, uh notices this and she decides to do something about it. So there's a particular scene, and you remember the scene, uh, where she's face to face with this little girl. And she's affirming her. Uh, she's encouraging her. 
she says to her face to face and the little girl repeats after Abilene Clark, uh, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. And they'll say it again, you, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. But you know, this blows me away because here you have this black poor woman who is a maid in the house and she's kind enough to affirm and encourage this child. She's got a job that that may not be all that exciting to her and she's got to be there to make ends meet and yet she sees this little child and, and she has compassion upon her. She wants to affirm her. She wants to give her what her mother is not giving to her. You is kind. You you is smart. You is important. And what in essence Abilene Clark is saying to this little girl is, You are somebody. And I don't care how your mama treats you. You are somebody. And if nobody else tells you that, baby, I will tell you that today. You are somebody. Body, And yet, do you know that this was the kind of person that nobody would have assumed to be the one to affirm and encourage this child? She was an unlikely candidate to do this. And this, y'all, is our text this morning. What we will see is that God can and will use unlikely candidates. I want us to see three main ideas this morning. We'll see that the arrival of Jesus reveals Jesus as king. We'll also see that the arrival of Jesus demands worship. And lastly, we'll see that the arrival of Jesus will all the time, many times, bring opposition. But before we jump in, let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you, God. You're present here with us when we worship. We thank you for that. Father, we even thank you for seeing the gifts of our children on display. We thank you that Deuteronomy points us in the right direction. It tells us that we ought to train up a child in the way that, this, that children should go. And we, we ought to teach them gospel truth and the things of, of your word. So we thank you for their gifts on display this morning. Father, I pray that you would teach us to be more like these kids. That we would be humble, that we would walk upright, that, that we would be as needy as our children are. We would come to you in that kind of manner, God. Father, would you rest upon us? Would you open our eyes and open our ears, God, that we may hear from you this morning? Mighty God, would you give our hearts understanding? I don't have the power to do that. I don't have the strength to do that. Would you move me aside that we may encounter you this morning, God? We need to. Father, I pray for that person here that may have walked into this place with a heavy heart. I pray that your word would be a lamp unto their feet and a light unto their path. Pray, God, that your word would be a burden lifter even this morning. That your word would be an encouragement. Father, we we ask that you would do as you please here this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
See, over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been in an Advent series. And Advent simply points to the arrival of an important person. And every year around this time, we just pause to remember the coming of Jesus. And we, we, we take some time to remember Jesus' arrival. In the first part of Matthew 1, we saw, as Richard put out, uh, the intentionality in the family tree of Jesus. We saw in Jesus' genealogy that God is incredibly intentional. He was intentional in his power. He was intentional in mission as well. We also saw a God who was with us in the bottom of Matthew chapter 1. We were able to see the healing and the hope from God being with us in the mission and purpose of a God who is with us. And I want to tell you this morning that no other major religion can claim a God who is present and near and with us. Only Christianity can do that. Matthew doesn't stop there in chapter 2. Matthew continues the narrative of Jesus. Matthew uses his words and he is making an attempt to bring clarity to us. And the story picks up uh, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. And it's important for us to understand what Matthew is talking about when he says in the days of Herod the king. He's speaking of Herod the Great. He was a builder. He was the same guy that built the temple of Jerusalem. Uh, Herod the king was the same guy that rebuilt Samaria. Uh, He was the kind of God that could bring order from chaos. Yet he was also a man of cruelty. Uh, He was not uh, an honest man by any means. He was an oppressive kind of man to say the least. Uh, This is the kind of rule and reign that Jesus was born into. And our story tells us about wise men from the east. And some translation call these men magi. Uh, These men are astrologers. They would essentially take heavenly things, the stars, and the movement of the clouds and skies, and they would give them human characteristics or human attributes. And so they would discern what was happening with the stars, and they'd say, this is going to happen in your life. They were astrologers. And our Bible says wise men, because many folks, kings and prestigious people, would would pull them in and ask about their wisdom on certain topics. Matthew's readers uh, were reminded, when they would read this, they would be reminded of Daniel chapter 2, when King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream in Daniel chapter 2, and he called upon uh, sorcerers and scribes, and he called these, these magi in, and he told them, I want you to tell me what my dream is is and what my dream means. They're looking at him like, dude, you are nuts. Nobody can do that. But they're thinking about this. The readers of Matthew would be thinking about this as they're reading the story of the wise men. If you think about it in today's term, it would be uh, the kind of people who are specialists in horoscope. Uh, they they take the the signs, uh, whether you're a Virgo or uh, they take those signs and they give human characteristics or human attributes uh, to those signs. 
But yet these people were Gentiles. They were not Jews. They were not a part of the covenant group of people. They were not a part of the covenants of promise. They were Gentiles. And I want you to hear this this morning. God decided to reveal Himself to Gentiles. And not only did God decide to reveal Himself to Gentiles, but God decided to make Himself known through pagan Gentiles. Isn't that amazing that God wouldn't use uh, the Jews to, to reveal Himself, but in our story, God would use pagan wise men, men whose methods were questionable, to reveal Himself that the beauty of the gospel, the goodness of the grace of Jesus may be revealed through some messed up folk. And that ought to be good to you this morning. The reality is God can use anybody and and God can use messed up and broken people and we saw that in Jesus's genealogy we we got the Rahabs in Jesus's genealogy God uses the broken God uses the weak God uses messed up people to get his message across one of the lessons we need to learn here is that the arrival of Jesus reveals Jesus as king. Look at verse 2 with me. The Magi asked the question, Where is he who has been born, get this, king of the Jews? Note that they do not suggest that where is he who will become the king of the Jews? They say very intentionally, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? See, because Jesus is king, it changes all of life. Because Jesus is king, the earthly king Herod feels threatened by his authority. King King Herod gathers all of his chief priests and he gathers his scribes and he asks them one question, where is the Christ to be born? He he wants to, to gather some information so that he can thwart the plan and the work of Jesus. Even King Herod knows that Jesus is not a man, but but Jesus is king. He knows this. And our passage reveals this to us. Because Jesus is king, it changes all of life. Because Jesus is king, a man named the Apostle Paul can be locked in prison and yet he is still sharing the gospel message to with everybody that's around him. Because Jesus is king, Joseph can be lied on and Joseph can be thrown in prison. He can be beat down and left for dead and he is still glorifying God because Jesus is king. Because Jesus is king, my grandmama could raise ten kids by herself and and my grandmama can raise up those ten children and send them out to know Jesus and who in turn would, would teach my mother to know Jesus, who in turn would teach me to know Jesus. Because Jesus is king, it changes everything. When Jesus is king, you and I ought to be convinced of His goodness and of His grace. It changes everything. See, when I understand that Jesus is King, it changes all of life. And this perspective, it helped people like the Apostle Paul in multiple ways. 
when life gets shaky, when things in life get rocky, they, they, they are able to hold on to the foundation that Jesus is king, that he has my best in, in mind. I love Colossians chapter 2, uh, this, the preeminence of Christ's passage. Verses 15 through 17 says this, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. See, Matthew and Paul both knew that it's in Jesus that because Jesus is king, all things are held together. That all things come from Jesus because he is not just a man, he, he is God. And he is not just God, but he is a reigning king. And, and Herod knew this. And it threatened his authority. It, it threatened his reign. Because Herod knew, the wise men knew, that Jesus was not just a man, but he was God. They were convinced of it. I recently read a story um, in uh, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch back home where I'm from. And uh, it kind of caught my attention because what was happening was in the neighborhood that I grew up in, in St. Louis... And so there's this pastor who has a church in my neighborhood. And this pastor happened to be doing a lot of funerals of people in the church. He was doing all these funerals and it struck him that here I am performing all of these funerals. I don't know the the people that I'm performing the, the funerals of. And here I am doing nothing about the trouble and the brokenness all around me. So he said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do something about it. He gathered a team of people, and at night they began going out into the city, into the neighborhood. So on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night at 10 p.m. to 1 a.m., they would walk the streets of the city. They put on vests, yellow vests that, that would reflect, and they would carry out food for those who may be hungry. And they just began walking. And they began praying for folk, and they just began feeding folk. And, and initially, he said everybody was put off, and they thought we were actually the police. And, but once we just kept coming back, and kept coming back, and, and, and praying for people, he said we actually got to stop two murders. There was one guy who they came in contact with, uh, and they, they asked him if they could pray for him, and, and he just began weeping in that moment. And, and they prayed for this man, and at the end of the prayer, he lifted up his shirt and showed them a gun that was in his waistband, and he said, I was going to kill somebody, I'm now going home. See, because Jesus is king, this pastor can, can realize that I've got a role to play and, and, and I've got to do something about it. And though the streets may be dangerous, uh, my folks and I, we're going to get out in these streets because Jesus is king. Only Jesus being king can make you do that. 
And what we see here in our passage, we see that King Herod and the wise men are convinced that Jesus is not just a man, but that he is king. And it changes all of life when we're convinced that Jesus is king. And I have to beg the question this morning. Do you believe that Jesus is king? Is, is that a part of your story? Is that a part of your life's journey? Do you believe that he reigns over all? That in him and through him, everything was made and all things are held together. Do you believe that he is king? And are you living your life as if Jesus is king? Secondly, we need to see that the arrival of Jesus demands worship. I love this. The wise men declare in verse 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star and we've come, get this, to worship him. Even King Herod, when he puts together this master plan, he calls in all of his folks and then he he realizes that they're talking about Jesus of Bethlehem of Judea. And then he calls in the wise men and he calls in the wise men and he he asks them for information and, and he sends them off and he says, when you find Jesus, send back word. Get this. Because I like to worship him as well. And obviously King Herod is being deceptive. But the point is, when you and I encounter Jesus, when Jesus arrives on the scene, he demands worship. They see the star reappear and and God uses the star to lead men in the way that they should go. The star comes to rest upon where Jesus is. And the wise men are incredibly excited to finally be at their destination. And we cannot skip past their excitement. I want to tell you this morning that the reason the wise men are excited is because they know what the prophetic words have been. Uh, They understand the Old Testament prophets who have said a a star will show you the way and, and one will come who will heal and restore and who will put back the broken pieces and he would be your savior for, for God's people. They, they, they know these prophetic words and their excitement is a sign that God will keep his word. Their excitement in which they hadn't even seen Jesus yet. But when the star stops and rests upon the place where Jesus is, the the Bible says they were overjoyed. Why were they overjoyed? They were overjoyed because they understood that our God keeps his word. He keeps his promises. And I love to just park here for a second. If there's anybody here this morning that would doubt God, I want to challenge you this morning and say, I know a God who will keep his word. I know a God who will never leave you nor forsake you. I know a God who will consistently provide for your every need. God keeps his word. And this is, this is, thank you for that one clap. This is what the wise men are pointing to. The reality that God is a faithful God. That God is a promise keeper. 
That's why they were overjoyed. That's why they were jubilant. They were excited when the star rests because God has been faithful. And He has kept His word. The wise men, they walk into the house and they see Jesus there with Mary. And notice their response in verse 11. Notice this. They fell down and worshipped Him. When they come into the presence of Jesus, they can't help themselves. They worship. When they enter into the, the presence of God, it's like nothing they've ever experienced before. They fall down and they worship. They come into God's presence and they begin to worship. They, they lay themselves prostrate before Jesus. And this is amazing to me because here you have men who, who were called upon by others. And yet they were Gentiles, but, but they were called upon for their wisdom and their intellect as it relates to astrology. And even these men are not afraid of what the people in Mary's house will think about them. They fall down and they worship. Because God is worth their worship. When they encounter a mighty and a holy God, they cannot stand it. All they do is worship. They fall down and they worship. I love to tell you that this isn't something brand new to God's Word here. They're, they're communicating in this moment that Jesus is divine. That Jesus is supernatural. They're communicating as they worship that Jesus is superior to, to any other earthly king. And they fall down and they worship. See, their worship was about adoration. Their worship was about allegiance. Their their worship was about devotion. And I love this because when the wise men were in the presence of King Herod, the Bible does not say they fell down in worship. But when they came in the presence of Jesus, they fell down and they worshipped. They were excited about it. It spoke to their devotion. It, it spoke to their allegiance. And it spoke to their adoration. See, they were convinced of Jesus. And if you were to ask me to show you a group of people who were convinced of the rescuing power of Jesus Christ, I would show you a people who are faithful in their worship to Jesus Christ. People who are convinced of Jesus will be a worshiping kind of people. They'll be reverent of God. They'll have a healthy fear of God. They'll have a healthy devotion to God. It'll be a healthy adoration to Him. And this is what we see from the wise men. This isn't the only place we see the importance of worship. Look at Psalms 66, verse 4 with me. It says this, All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. 
Then in Psalm 86, verse 9, it says, All the nations you have made shall come and worship you before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Even in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, it says this, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. See, a convinced people will be a worshiping people. Uh, we all enjoy good music, right? We, we, we all enjoy... I, I don't know anybody that would say, uh, I just don't like music at all. And though our taste in music may be different, we all really enjoy good music. I mean, it may be uh, Adele's, her, her song, Hello. You know, when you, when you hear, Hello, it's me, your, your heart melts. You know, I mean, you hear Adele, and, and, and it may be, maybe you got a different flavor. It may be Yo Gotti. You know, um, and, and I hate to bust him out, but uh, one of Richard's son-in-laws, he's not here, uh, loves Yo Gotti. <laughs> loves Yo Gotti. Um, it, it, when you hear the, the trap beat, may, may, maybe it just sends you to a different place. You know, I mean, maybe that's your thing. May, uh, do you know that Adele has almost 700,000 views. I mean, 700 million views of her newest song, Hello. There's a lot of people who really like this music. Uh, Yo Gotti has millions and millions of views for different songs uh, on, on YouTube. And it's amazing to me. We've got different flavors. And, and that's okay. But here it is, when we experience the greatness of the music we love, we're convinced of it. And how are we convinced? We, we buy that album. We, we, we pull it in on Apple Music or Spotify. We, we go listen to it many times on YouTube, which generates revenue for somebody. Um, when we're convinced, we show it. When we're convinced, we, we act like it. And this is what we see from the wise men. They, they are convinced of the cause of Christ. They are convinced of Jesus. They are convinced of Him. And y'all, they, they bow down and they worship. And I want to tell you this morning that, that maybe, maybe lifting your hands is, isn't your thing. Or, or, or maybe singing out loud isn't your thing. But it doesn't have to be your thing. When you are convinced of the grace of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus, somebody ought to get excited about that. Because of the work of Christ. And all that He has done for us. Do you live a life of worship? Guys, are, are you leading your marriage in the way of worship? Parents, are, are you raising your children in the way of worship? Singles, are, are you dating that guy or that girl with worship in mind? Is that a part of your story? 
Lastly, we've got to see that the arrival of Jesus, it brings opposition. Herod crafts this plan. And it's his goal. It's, it's his aspiration to get the upper hand on Jesus. Herod is okay with being an idol of the people. Herod has been uh, in leadership for uh, several decades at this point, And he loves the worship of the people. And Herod is coveting the worship consistently of the people for himself. And this is why he creates a plan to thwart the plan of Christ. He wants to dismantle the plans of Jesus Christ. And so he's devising this plan. He is in opposition of all that that God has sent his son Jesus to do and accomplish. He, He is opposing it. That's why he's sending the wise man. To go and find out information so, so that he can go and maybe kill Jesus or maybe take him off of his throne. If anybody ever worships somebody else than me, Herod is thinking. See, Herod is okay with being the idol. He's okay with everybody idolizing him. He is in opposition to everything that God would do and say. And I want to tell you this morning, there will always be opposition to the cause of Christ. There will always be another idol that, that desires to lift herself or himself up before you. That your devotion and that your worship and that your adoration may be given to that thing. And this is Herod's story. He wants the worship for himself. He he wants the the adoration and, and the allegiance for himself. And God says, not so. You need to hear this morning that there will always be opposition and idols attempting to raise themselves up before the work of Christ and the plan of Christ. God, even in spite of, still uses unlikely candidates. He uses a baby to become, to be born as king. He uses the magi to to bear the weight of the gospel message, the blessing of the good news of Jesus. He uses Gentiles to accept his message that it may spread to others. He, He uses folk that nobody would have ever assumed he would use. And dare I say this morning that if God would use Gentile uh, magi, He can use you as well. That if God would give His message, His precious, precious message of the gospel to those Gentiles, He would give it to you as well. And I know that there may be some in here this morning who are thinking, you don't know my story, Chris. You, you don't know all the things that I've done. You, you don't know how filthy I am. You, you don't know how messed up my life has been. And I dare I say to you this morning that God can still intervene in your world. That's His desire. And yet, there will always be opposition. 
so uh, I, I grew up in St. Louis, and y'all know this. And um, so uh, there was a practice in my neighborhood where somebody would pull out boxing gloves, and the kids would just go at it. Uh, we had these amateur boxers who were twins, and they were probably in their early 20s when I was younger. And they would bring their boxing gloves out of their homes, and, and, and they would just, in the backyard of, of, of their uh, uh, duplex, they would just watch us just go at it and just get bloody. Um, obviously, our parents had no knowledge of what was going on. We had our own little alley fight club, you know. Um, and, and I don't claim to be a great fighter. I never did. Uh, but there was this one kid who uh, he and I put the gloves on together. And I got to say, he was a little smaller than me. Uh, he was a little shorter than me. So I knew I was going to get him. So we laced up the gloves and tied them up really tight. And uh, somebody had their arm in between the two of us. And they said, all right, go. And, you know, we stepped back and we went forward to one another. And this this little kid just gave me the business, y'all. <laughs> I, I can't even front. I mean, he gave me the business. And I just never assumed it was going to be this way. <laughs> I mean, every time I tried to move forward, he, boom, just, he, he popped me with the right hand. And every time I tried to duck, he'd catch me with the uppercut. And every move I made, he, he'd hit me and he'd pound me. And all of a sudden, you know how you get so mad you got tears coming out your, down your face, you know? That, that was me. Like, I'm so mad I got tears coming down my face because I could do nothing. Everything he, he, I tried to do, he'd, Boom, he'd punch me. He'd hit me with another one. He'd hit me with a combo. I'm like, who is this Rambo, son? Who, who is this kid? You know, he opposed every move. There was consistent opposition every, every time I tried to maneuver. Because I was doing it in my own strength. And he was just working me. Working me over. I was, I was doing it in my own strength and he was working me over. And what we see here from the wise man is that if it's in our own strength, we will always get worked over. But with the strength of God, with the strength of his son, even with opposition, we'll be able to maneuver the blows. With the strength of the blood of Jesus, that was shed on your my behalf with that kind of strength we can endure and this story teaches us this morning that God can and will use anybody he desires to use that God can use a mess like you and I and no matter where we find ourselves God can put the pieces back together desires to welcome us home. The scriptures declare to us, all you who are heavy laden, all you who are burdened, come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Are you weary this morning? Do you need rest this morning? The God that the wise men bowed to. The one in whom the 
the wise men were in awe of, He avails Himself to you and I this morning. And He he welcomes us home that we may be in right fellowship with Him. And Jesus tells us very clearly that nobody gets to His Father except through Him. And yet He says, come. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you just do business with God? And maybe, maybe you do walk with Jesus and praise the Lord. Would you, would you be praying for those who may not? In the quietness of your own heart, would you, would you lift up a prayer? Maybe you're investigating this Jesus thing. Would you do business with God? Would you, would you ask Him what He requires of you? This is your opportunity to cry out to Him. He'll receive you just as you are. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your love and kindness, God. We thank You for Your matchless grace. Father, we thank You for using messed up people like wise men. Thank You, God, that that teaches us that You can use messed up people like Chris Davis. Father, I pray that you would continue to call us to yourself. God, that we would be restless until we submit to you. That you would give us the understanding that only you can fill the void that is in our hearts. Pray that you would make that clear, God. And we thank you, God, that though there may be opposition... You love us enough to keep us. You love us enough to watch over us, to protect us. You go before us. You lead us. And we thank you. Now, God, as the ushers come and as we receive these tithes and these offerings, we thank you that we have the ability to give. And Father, we pray that we would Give out of gratitude for all that you've accomplished for us. God, I pray for those that may desire to give, but just don't have it to give. Would you supply their every need? Would you keep them, God? Would you, would you give sustainable work? Would you give transportation to get there? We pray you would provide. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.